Hey friends, Ashton here, and welcome back to another episode of Good, True, and Beautiful. Hope you and yours are doing well. We are joined today uh, by a new friend of mine. We haven't met face-to-face, but he is located in Austin, just a few uh, minutes away from Waco, and he has come out with a book, came out last fall, Now is the Way, An Unconventional Approach to Modern Mindfulness. Um, the link for me connecting with his work is our dear friend Jay Papazan, author of The One Thing, and... Um, so that's how we got here. And uh, Corey Allen is his name. He's the creator of the Astral Hustle podcast and uh, just a beautiful student of mindfulness. I can tell from his work uh, that he is leading a life of peace and purpose and passion. And uh, when I came across his work, I thought, this guy's one of us. We need to hear from him. He belongs at the table at Good, True, and Beautiful. So with that being said, Corey is joining us today from Austin. Corey, welcome. Hey, thank you so much, Ashton. I really appreciate you inviting me on the show, man. Absolutely. Super grateful and stoked to have you on today. Um, I I gave you kind of a choppy bio there um, for maybe people that haven't come across your work before. Um, Where do you begin when you introduce yourself and your work in the world? Yeah, I kind of have uh, what I call the composite life, you know, so I've done a lot of different things and continue to do a lot of different things, but... um, I yeah am a podcaster, author, uh, music producer, uh, in kind of parallel to all that, a meditation teacher, and so do a lot of different things. But they all really, um, I, I did this not only because they all interest me, but because they all are under the same umbrella of one larger intention, which is to create work and things in the world in various different lanes, which will, you know, amplify the consciousness and self-awareness of the individual, of whoever is experiencing or, or taking in that work, and allow them to become more aware of themselves, more aware of, you know, uh, the world around them, and therefore be able to uh, begin to become more conscious and, and live uh, in a way that they might so desire. Beautiful, beautiful. When when did like all of these various lanes of mindfulness kind of come to a head for you? I feel like we all have a story of <clears throat> burnout or uh, overwhelm or just too much in life. When when did kind of the the mindfulness awareness conversation kind of start stirring within you? That was really uh, when I was really young, you know, probably about 25 years ago um, and really intensely 20 years ago. Um, And so essentially just living in, you know, as far as my background goes, the family ecosystem I was in, there was a lot of, you know, a a negative environment and a lot of um, just challenges in general uh, around that. And so. I randomly stumbled upon philosophy to begin with. You know, I got into it whenever I was a teenager, and essentially, I was, you know, from uh, uh, you know, separated. You know, parents were separated, and there was just a lot of negativity on both sides, and a lot of emotional manipulation, and kind of conditional love, and uh, parenting through fear, and and all that type of stuff. And so, ironically, this being kind of like gaslit by my my uh, parents in some way made me realize that what I was perceiving wasn't necessarily uh, anything other than what I was perceiving and such with everyone. It's like, mm-hmm. wow, there's there are different ways of, of seeing the world because like I'm being told that something happened one way, but I was there and I saw it and it didn't happen that way. Mm-hmm. And that kind of like 
began to make me just subtly where I could, didn't have the language to apply to it or any of the concepts or anything, but I started realizing, like, interesting. It's like we're all taking readings of the world outside of our skin and making up the stories, you know, the narratives in our mind of, like, what is true and what is real. And I kind of just began to marinate on those ideas. And um, then I really randomly, someone, I heard someone mention the name Nietzsche whenever I was younger. And, and I was just walking through a bookstore. I saw that name on the back of a book that was on a shelf. And I thought, oh, that's a cool name. And um, you know, feeling very out of sync with society and, and the world around me as it was most people do whenever they're a uh, teenager. But I was very angry, very resentful, very, you know, because of the, the things I was experiencing. I had a, a extreme anxiety because of the kind of emotional situation that I was I was in. And because uh, I never knew kind of what was lurking around, waiting around the corner for me, you know. And so it gave me extreme anxiety. And so the first time I read... I went over, I started reading Nietzsche, and I had this real big aha moment of like, wow, this isn't particularly what I think, but it's it's how I think. It's the mathematics of how concepts work and flow and how I begin to, it helped me begin to relate to the world in a way in which I saw things in a very specific and powerful way. And so I have a very obsessive, right? I used to have a very obsessive personality. Like I go really deep on things because I really like to extract like every atom out of them, you know? Um, and as you said, you know, before we got started here, like you, you have an audience of seekers that listen, and I'm sure that many people can resonate with that. It's like, once you find that new scent of knowledge or yes. something, you're like, Oh God, I gotta once, learn you, everything. once you taste, you can't untaste. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so, man, I, I really sucked dry, like the whole Western canon of philosophy and then started going to the Eastern after that, because there's a lot of, um, you know, uh, Western philosophers that kind of are informed and, and were were influenced by Eastern thought. And so they mentioned those names. And this is in the 90s, you know, mm -hmm. so it was mm -hmm. pre-Google, pre-YouTube, pre-any of that. It was literally just like books and books and books and books. Um, and then, uh, so and I also got into like the hippie philosophers that were sort of the bridges between, you know, hardcore Western thought and, and Eastern thought, which, you know, Alan Watts, Robinathan yeah. Wilson, people yeah. like that. Yeah. So anyway, so then I got into Eastern thought through, through that. And whenever I read, began reading uh, Eastern philosophy, I had the same aha moment. But now it was not only is this how I think, but this is also what I think, you know, the the intention you know intentionally living with compassion and feeling that fundamental goodness for all things knowing it's possible realizing that it's a matter of just learning how to undo the programming of your past to begin to walk into a future uh that you know is possible and so i began you know that's whenever mindfulness and meditation enter my life really by chance and necessity and i just slowly you know just reading out of all these different books, um, for, you know, that came out across time and different lineages and everything. And I just tried to deconstruct autodidactically all these different methods and techniques and took take what worked for me and just quietly began using that in my bedroom. And what I began to notice was this cultivation of negative space inside of me mm -hmm. and not negative as in bad, but negative as an empty space. I had uh, what I call in my book, you know, the mindfulness gap began appearing where I realized like, well, I can, you know, I can, uh, bef before I just react to life based on my past experiences and kind of what has been corked in my head by my family system, I can be aware of what I'm experiencing and 
my, you know, and respond with awareness and intention as opposed to just reacting. And Yeah, you oh, can see those thoughts from afar. Yeah. You're not so much those thoughts. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You can be aware of what is arising in your consciousness and then begin to choose what to turn into action. And therefore, that begins to shape who you are and who you'll become in the future. Talk to me. You. This is a little off script, but you mentioned this phrase and it struck a chord with me, this unwiring um, of like almost negativity, right? About getting back to this original concept of goodness, compassion, that, that is the true seat of the soul. I think that would be helpful for some of our listeners, because I, I think a lot of us, we, we get to that place, and we just call this big time out, and we go, wait a minute, why am I so moved by negative, that which I am not, or how I am different from everyone, or, or whatever else, and really regrounding yourself back in this original place of goodness, truth, and beauty. Um, you have any thoughts on kind of that initial unwiring season because i feel like a lot of us can be there at times oh yes so you know each of us were you know born into an ecosystem of culture and you know just general genetic imprintation and all of the baggage and traditions and ultimately all of the kind of hang-ups and issues that have been reverberating through your genetic you know family history and your ancestry for generations get passed down and passed down and you know, before we even know how to talk, we're kind of told what the world is like, what we should be like. And, you know, fortunately, uh, you know, for some people, they get a really healthy point of view, you know, from that. Um, sometimes we are taught things and, you know, taught how the world is in quotes um, that are really destructive and, and harmful and harmful to the self. And it, and it gives us this uh, uh, kind of, um, you know, a, a wired program of seeing the world in a particular way and just simply realizing that, um, this might be a little too, I don't know if this is too deep, let's go, but I'm ready. Uh, uh, all right. So, <laughs> you know, the, one of the, the things that is really useful in, in this sense is like the way that we all see the world, we're all seeing, you know, a different vantage points and impressions of the same thing that's out there, right? So if you think about each of us has this nervous system and all five of our senses, and it's like the world outside of our bodies is this landscape that we are constantly absorbing and taking information from using our nervous system and our senses, right? So all of that information about what things look like, what things smell like and taste like, who's doing what, you know, the, the, you know, our brains are tying together these narrative stories of like how people are acting, why they're acting certain ways, what facial recognition, you know, what faces people are making, all this type of stuff, what symbols and how, you know, how meaning applies to all these things. And so all that's constantly flowing into our, our, our body in this cyclical feedback loop with, you know, the present moment. And what, when that information is fed into our brains, it goes through the filter of our inherited family system, right? Mm -hmm. So all the all the the ways that we're taught and told that the world is, you know, is is in our minds, and all the information goes into our body, and then it's filtered through that, and that's kind of our picture of the world. So each of us is experiencing 
a completely unique impression of what is happening in the world because all of us have lived different lives. All of us have been told and 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 uh, have you know taught ourselves different things, and so all of us are really seeing the world in a completely unique way. Although you know they are much more like the way that you and I see the world is much more similar than the way that you and an ant would see the world. You know, yeah. but. Uh, what's what's important to realize there is basically that what I'm getting to is that our reality is a bit of an illusion to some degree, right? Because we're creating a, a story of what is. Always and so, the narrative. Yes, yeah. yes. So whenever you begin to realize that what you are experiencing in every given moment is simply this subjective interpretation of, of what is, then you can, you know, that, that might sound... Uh, daunting to some people because they, they think, oh, wait a second, is this person saying that my reality is an illusion and like all, all is fake and nothing is true? Like, what do I, you know, yeah. I wanna, but what you, you know, if you look at that in the sense of like, you realize, okay, I am just taking in this, this uh, way of thinking right now, um, but through patience and through, uh, you know, cultivating some of these mindfulness practices, you can begin to really see things from a much larger picture, and that allows you to see how you've been wired, you know, what things have been uh, kind of pounded into your head and the ways that you've been told are finite, and then you can begin to liberate yourself from those things and live your life based around, you know, your instinct and your intention and what's really, you know, who you, the fullness of who you really are as opposed to what you've told you should be. Yeah. Yeah. Good word. Um, I heard Tara Brock, um, reflection not long ago and she said something along the lines of like our issues are in it. Our issues are in our tissues. Yes. <laughs> yes. This bodily, um, like store place of where the problem arises. Um, and I was like, man, that was, uh, that rang true with me. And you write in the book when you talk about this larger standpoint or view perspective, when your perspective is large, things that were once big become small. Um, well said. I'm getting ahead, though. I'm getting ahead of where we need to be. Um, <laughs> well, let's let's chat about the book because um, I think I think this book is perfect for maybe somebody that's like day one into the walk of awareness and mindfulness uh, practices. But then I also think that like. For those of us that have been swimming in the water for a few years, it's mm-hmm. it's another good uh, refresher of like, hey, here's what we're doing. This is the work. This is why we're doing this. Um, for you as the author, wh- why why now is the way? Why this book? Why now? Well, I think it's an important time in you know where we're at as a uh, culture and as a species to focus on these idea- an idea of presence. You know, in the a rising complexification of our society and our personal lives and uh, because of the light speed evolution of technology, you know, we're all, this is like, we, we are this, we're kind of like in this birthing period as a species right now, this weird technological time. Like this is, we're on the, like in the wild west, you know, like we're all, we're we're all living through this moment. If you zoom out a little bit and observe it from above, you can realize like we're we're living through this crazily transformative time right now, and no one knows what's happening. No one knows what's going to happen because, like our nervous system, our minds, like our you know community, all these different aspects of you know 
elemental human life and human nature are being um, mutated rapidly. Like, you know, the amount of notifications we get on a day from our phone alone uh, is more than what an air traffic controller gets. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like well, it's it's well. it's, it's <laughs> so we're, we're so saturated by that. And then, of course, the other aspect is that as these things unfold and these technologies advance, then uh, the people who are, you know, um, in business also will try and manipulate that and use that to uh, their advantage and to make money and to grow their their commerce and what have you. So you think of what's happening is like something like, you know, politics or or uh, just social media in general. You know, all these things are being um, very precisely architected to um, steal our attention away, to keep us polarized and keep us embroiled in our own kind of self-focus and uh, anxiety and things like that. And so it's very – that's why I put in the book is, you know, attention is the new currency. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. just – Last like, piece of real estate. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so there have been um, – so I think that presence is really uh, important because we – now more than ever are living in this momentum of distraction where we're going from our looking at our phone 80 times a day to watching an endless amount of streaming things on Netflix and, you know, all the other streaming services to YouTube and Google and the constant email and, you know, the, you know, jobs and offices are making it where they're using that to their advantage, where they're making people like they're expecting their employees to be online and available, you know, all, mm-hmm. at all times and respond to emails at all times. And so it's getting to this place where we're losing a bit of our birthright as humans. And that is to just experience the abundance and the joy of being alive in this body, you know, with this mind right now in this moment. And, that's, there's this natural brilliance that is being, you know, dimmed by a lot of uh, the density of technology. And so that's why I think it's an important thing uh, for people to uh, to think about and to build into their lives because it's going to help bring them back and have get off that that treadmill of, you know, the data skiing, you know, skiing yeah. down the, the the mountains of endless information. No doubt, no doubt. So you break this book down into four parts, uh, those being now, there, here, and how. And if it's cool with you, I just kind of wanted to waltz through these a bit and kind of riff on um, really the essence of the journey you take the reader on. Um, and and the book's got so much good stuff, guys, you got to get a copy of this book, but I, I, I would love to just hear from you. Um, because I think even like right out of the gate, you kind of define the now you talk Mm -hmm. about presence. Like what is what are we even talking about? Right. Um, so like for you, um, talk to me about as you, if, if someone had never heard this conversation before about cultivating presence, what is the the here and now, the present moment? Where do you begin? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. And I, I did that intentionally because there's there's a lot of books on mindfulness out there. There's, you know, some classic works on on presence, but very I, I've never seen anyone actually describe what the present moment is. You know? <laughs> and so it's like, how does someone gonna get get somewhere if they don't know where they're yes. going? Yeah, so that's good. Um yes, you you know, feeling 
uh, I, I try and break down the goal of experiencing something like that and give I really like tangible real world examples and not just talk and concept. I really want to break it down to where anyone right now, because it's like, what's more simple than just exist? We're already all existing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, how do you just attune your focus to the fact that that's happening? And so um, I try and give some real easy examples. And one is like, just, I give this example uh, of, drinking a cup of coffee or, uh, you know, chewing a piece of chocolate, right? So if you're, if you've got a chocolate bar and you're chewing this piece of chocolate and you're just kind of chomping it down and swallowing it, that's one experience of chocolateness. Or if you put a square of chocolate on your tongue, let it dissolve and melt over the course of five minutes or however long that takes, think about the difference between those two experiences, right? One is moved. You're thinking about something else. You're chewing, you're kind of just logging the experience and getting it over with another one you are aware of the texture of the chocolate the you know the all of the flavors and aromas that are moving around in the back of your throat and up your nose and the richness you might be thinking about you know where it was sourced from where it's come from and really feeling that experience in a really deep level right and so to uh, you know, just a, in a very small uh, degree, that is essentially the difference between living mindlessly yeah. and living mindfully in the present. And if you think about, well, who would not choose the second experience of that deep, rich experience of letting that luxurious piece of chocolate dissolve in your mouth? Now map that idea to your entire life. Mm. Are you just chomping down every conversation with your family and every meal and every thing at work and every hobby and you know you know passion that you have are you just kind of getting it in and like moving through it while you're thinking about some narrative of the future or you know having your brain uh kind of in your mind wander and roam about other things are you there present connected with the thing and really getting a deep deep uh you know not only pleasurable but fulfilling human experience with it all yeah and you i, I love one of the um kind of word choices that you used was this idea of like grabbing at life versus receiving it. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the great ahas of getting grounded in the now is that it was always there to be received. It's, it's, right. it's, not, it's not like it just out of nowhere, oh my gosh, now there's something to receive. No, it's actually we haven't been available, therefore we haven't been receiving all of this I use words like electricity, the juice, the joy, the, the, you know, use whatever word metaphor works for you. Um, talk to me about grabbing at life versus receiving it. Yes, yeah, sure. I'd love to. So, yeah, I mean, most of us are taught, particularly because of, you know, in, in America, you know, especially that in order to to win, to be successful, you've got to get out there and accomplish and take things, grab things, you know, and really grind away to uh, accomplish anything. But being present and, and just being aware and, uh, you know, living more mindfully is the opposite of that, because um, through the the process of grabbing, you're tensing, you're you're trying to go out there and achieve, mm-hmm. and so you're going to this kind of almost athletic state of the the body becomes closed off. You become tense because you're in the the mindset of the hunt, right? And so 
what we want is we want an open body, an open mind, an open you know spirit and channel or whatever you want to call it, so that you can actually receive the life and the world around you, right? And so by clearing away, that this is you know one of the the tricky parts of this work at first is realizing so much of this is not a doing, but it's an undoing. Yeah. Yeah. It's getting all the stuff out of the way so that you can allow yourself to actually attune and tune into the abundance of what surrounds you. And I, I love that you pointed that out because this is a very heartening thing for anyone that's ever experiencing a, a really tough time or a tough day or a stressful moment or whatever it might be. Any challenge in life, feeling that constriction, that pressure um, and that stress or you know negative emotion or whatever it might be, if you just remember back to... A, a moment in life where you felt completely relaxed and, you know, all, all light was twinkling, you know, you felt everything was in beautiful flow. and lush, you were in flow, exactly. Like that moment, as you mentioned, that that feeling, that sensation, it's around us at all times, right? It's, it's, cap it's possible in our minds. Like that's, we just need to focus and do the right practices to get back to that space. So it's always there. And I tend to think about that as almost like it's this hammock for the heart, like that the universe is like a hammock for the heart, right? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you just got to let go a little bit and you can relax and you'll be held by existence. Really. Uh, that's worth the cost of entry today. The universe, <laughs> say that again, the universe oh, is like a, a hammock, hammock for the heart. heart. Yeah. What on earth? Give me that and a tattoo across my back. Um, <laughs> and here's the other, uh, to put a little <laughs> extra pepper on that, is like, uh, you know, all of us are, I, you know, like we feel like we're hanging off the edge of this cliff, right? And we're like, we don't want to let go because we have to keep on grasping and grasping and grasping. But the, the head trip is that we we are hanging off the edge of this cliff, but our feet are only an inch off the ground. Mm hmm so you just let go, and that's how you you fall into the heart hand. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I hadn't, just even listening to you chat through grabbing, I hadn't connected that to attachment. Mm-hmm. Um, that so much of what I grab for is is a clear red flag that I'm attached to something. Yeah. Uh, versus just being open to receive there there's nothing to attach to matter of fact it's a it's a passing through it's not a grabbing that's um, exactly yeah yeah that's another call we'll have to we'll have, <laughs> we'll, we'll have to do 2.0 <laughs> yes um all right so we've 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 grounded ourselves in what is the now then you move to there and this is really the conversation about how we get lost and unfortunately most of us don't even realize we're lost, right? We just think the speed of life today is normal. The amount of data that's coming our way is normal. I think this may have been the chapter where you talk about how many thoughts a day do we have? 40,000? Mm -hmm. And that, that ends up being 40 every minute. So it's literally almost every second we have a new thought. Um, chase that down with the idea of these phones that we have in our pockets, and you've got a recipe for disaster. Um, talk to me about the things from, from where you sit as a teacher of mindfulness, like what are these top things that are getting us distracted and, and like the routine of distraction and just how, how we got to kind of push pause on all of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's one of the, I think the biggest one of course is the phones, you know, and social media and just the connectivity and like, while 
connectivity is incredible. Like we wouldn't be able to do this right now without it. It's a matter of recognizing that it needs to be managed a bit, right? And yeah. so one of the things I put in the book is like, you know, what if you were sitting in your living room and you were looking across the street and you saw your neighbor come out, walk down their driveway, look into their mailbox outside and then go back inside. And all right, well, they check the mail. Another five minutes later, they come out again. They walk down the driveway, they look in their mailbox and they go back inside. And like, oh, that's weird. Another two minutes later, they come out again, they walk outside, they look in the mailbox. Then they do that every five minutes for the next <laughs> six hours. You would call 911. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little crazy. Yes, yes. It's, you know, it's like, wow, there, there's something going on. They're having like a mental health issue right now. Then they need, a, they need assistance, you know? But that's what all of us are doing all the time with our phones. But it seems because conceptually it's there's the illusion that they're not there's not energy being expelled during that process yeah. because we're not physically walking to go do something but the same amount of mental energy and the disruption of mental awareness is happening and it turns into an addiction in this craving cycle of needing that dopamine hit of going back to it because we just get locked in this you know we really get wired our you know mm -hmm. neuroplasticity in our brains gets wired to get into the habit of doing that and so that's a huge one and just being able to um learn how to manage those things uh it, it, by you know i think for me i think time blocking those things is a really useful way to do it because you can say, uh, I'll check my you know, email every five minutes all day, but the amount of time you spend hopping in and hopping out of checking that and derailing your focus on other things, kind of getting out of your flow, um, it makes it where you're driving on this unpaved road almost. You're just always you know, bumping and, and, and getting uh, confused and knocked around or whatever with your, as far as your attention goes. And so if you just say, I'll, okay, I'll check my email for 30 minutes like twice a day or three times a day if you're super busy and just you put all that time into these little spaces you realize that it really didn't need that much attention to begin with yeah. in a lot of cases yeah you're exactly right and i think this was the chapter where you really bring to light responding versus reacting mm -hmm. um that so much of the pain suffering angst aggravation challenge strife in our life is because we react to everything, everything um, we fall, you know, victim to everyone else's agendas versus um, I think Tim Ferriss calls email everyone else's agenda. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think you do a great job of um, this is where you have to start the dialogue of that awareness where you can then respond instead of react to everything that comes your way. That's right. And also, you know, you, and this is so useful in relationships with other people and not only just people who you know, but just other humans, you know, it's like, uh, as we touched on at the beginning, you know, a lot of us are living this life that's kind of authored by the, the ones that lived before us. And so we are, you know, reacting into to certain conversations based upon kind of unexamined, you know, either traumas or hangups or, or insecurities yeah. or fears or whatever that we have. And so we just, you know, literally have a, a reaction without even knowing what's happening in a lot of cases with people in life. And through practicing, you know, meditation and, and mindfulness, um, you can begin to uh, get a little bit of space in there and be aware of, like, what impulse is coming and learn how to 
then navigate that impulse and make a, a choice of how you show up in the world to everyone and to yourself, as opposed to just being uh, kind of possessed by uh, your past and an unexamined life. Well said, well said. Um, which is kind of the dialogue of where you talk about how we get back. How do we get back to here, to this mm-hmm. moment, to this place? Um, there was one, one line that you wrote that really spoke to me. The anxiety of wanting makes the abundance of what is already here blurred and faded. Mm-hmm. Um, talk to me about... Uh, did you say in the book, was it keeping infinity in check? There was something that <laughs> oh, stuck yes. with me. I, I may be saying that wrong, but there was... No, that's right. There your was, personal infinity. Yeah. Your, yeah, your personal infinity. Talk on that. Yeah, sure. So basically, the idea is that, you know, a, you know, a little bit of a bridge from what we were talking about earlier is that, you know, we all have so much, we all feel like we have more to do every day than we can possibly do, you know, and... Um, that's true because you can do, you know, there's an infinite amount of stuff that you could be doing. And I kind of described the personal infinity as like, um, while we, we don't have, you know, like there isn't a literal infinity of things that we could be doing in life. There's this kind of personal infinity. So mm-hmm. Obama could, you know, go and meet, you know, even Obama hasn't met every person on earth, even though he's probably met hundreds of thousands of people or the Dalai Lama or something has met hundreds of thousands of people in there in his life. Um, but he hasn't met every human being that is alive. And so, you know, kind of, even though he hasn't literally, you know, there's not a literal infinite number of people there might as well be, because there's an endless amount of stuff for him, people for him to interact with. And so each of us also kind of have that same experience with to do's and things we feel like we must get done in life. And so learning how to manage that personal infinity, realizing, okay, there's no bottom to this. And so I need to find some place of buoyancy in it to feel uh, where I can actually feel like squared away for the day and restful. Yeah. What are some habits you have implemented to keep your infinity in check? Uh, well, one is really just shaking off a lot of that, that kind of raving anxiety that most of us have, you know, um, that, and, uh, you know, exercise is a huge one. Like I run five times a week. Um, and I, you know, that's a, cause you know, we all have this because most of us spend our time, you know, in offices or in indoors or somewhere like that these days. Um, you know, we're animals. Mm-hmm. And so we have to blow out that animal energy because we've got this need to move and to just expel that, uh, you know, I think that hunter, you know, the kind of pre-civilized uh, sapiens walked, I think, 10 to 15 miles a day, wow. you know. Wow. And so it's in most of, you know, most people are walking one one to one and a half, two miles a day if they're not exercising, you know. So we've got all of this just kind of pent up animal like think about if you have a dog and you don't take your dog on a walk for a week mm-hmm. they get real crazy mm-hmm. that's what we're doing you know yeah. we, we get crazy like that too so that's a really uh, big one you know, of course uh meditation is is crucial for me uh you know i, I again I, I meditate uh five times a week um then little things like that really help with that is like I take my social media icons and email icons on my phone and I put them on the back page, like the last page of my phone. And then my social media apps, I put them in a folder 
um, just called like social media or whatever, but it, it kind of creates barriers to entry. So I'm sure that you've had those times where like you go pick up, you're doing something and you pick up your phone and your thumb is just like opening, you know, email or Instagram or whatever. And you don't even re- like it's the window is literally opening before you realize that what you've even done, you know, and it's yeah. like, wait, what am I doing here? It kind of puts some barriers to entry to that to keep you from getting in those bad habits of just looking for that dopamine hit, you know? Totally. Absolutely. It's also really useful. Um, it's a great idea. I think I may need to do that. Um, and really, that's what you get into in this final section is the how. You talk a lot about uh, your personal meditation practices and these 12 different kind of quotes that you use in the back um, from all different teachers uh, that are um, beautiful things to reflect on. They'd make great meditations just to kind of dwell on some of those sentences there. Um, I guess as we kind of wrap up today, who, who would you invite to come and check out Now is the Way? Oh, well, really everyone and anyone, you know, I mean, no matter where you're at, uh, I think you said it wonderfully at the beginning of the podcast, like I, uh, I've been studying this stuff and it's been, you know, at the forefront of my life for the last 20 years. And it's, it's helped me tremendously because, and the reason I even really wrote the book, uh, is because I figured all of this out for myself because I needed to, because mm-hmm. I was very anxious. I was very unhappy. I was very kind of uh, angry, you know, as a young young kid because of, you know, just all the, the things I was experiencing. And as I slowly begin to become more self-aware and kind of wake up, I saw the potential for change. Now, it's truly possible for anyone to change behaviors and, and aspects of their inner lives that they're not happy with. And all of us, you know, no one is free from uh, having potential to improve and, and become happier and feel more fulfilled and, and more connected as a person. And so, you know, I, through my podcast, you know, I, I started talking about the things I'd experienced in life and I got such a wild amount of feedback of people saying, hey, I'm experiencing that too. And mm. what you said helped me, you know, get through that. It made me realize that what I should do is, you know, well, one, that they weren't me issues. They were their common yeah. yep. human experiences that are universal. And that I wanted to create like the best map that I could create. So that's what this is. It's just like map sharing. It's like I, <laughs> you know, lived through all of these things and I tried to make a guide that I could give to a fellow human that they could use to read that was like um, uh, intentionally uh, everything is crystal clear because this stuff is often talked about in a real flowery or kind of nebulous sort of way. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to make it super clear. I wanted to make it actually actionable so you could really, you know, deploy these methods and techniques into your life and feel a difference. And I also want to make it layered. So I want to make something that grows with you because, um, you know, I want to make the simplicity of a lot of the language uh, unpackable. So a person who's never thought about any of this stuff can go read it and it'll make a lot of sense to them and be useful. But someone who's 20 or 30 years in can, you know, look at the layering of, of those things and also uh, get something real deep about it. Because, uh, you know, if, if you say uh, this notion of someone might think, Oh, a lot of the stuff in there is simple. 
But if you tell me you have accomplished accepting what is, I would question that. Yeah. Uh, you know, these things are lifelong uh, pursuits, things that you grow with, you it's know, it's absolutely, absolutely. So, so yes, it's, um, uh, free. It's, you know, it's, it's secular. There's not any, uh, uh, kind of even Eastern religious ideas in there. It's just made for, for everyone at any stage. And, uh, I just, I truly hope that anyone, if they're, if they're called to go grab it, that it, it helps them, uh, in their life and just really cuts down the time uh, it takes them to get where they want to be uh, instead of it taking, you know, another few decades for them. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, like I said, if you're day one, it'll be a great page turner of ahas. If you're year 50, uh, it'll help you connect some of the dots looking backwards um, yeah. and uh, help you refine, you know, your own map and lay it over and see where they align. Um, I always ask everyone this before we go. What advice would you give to your younger self? Mm. Uh, I would say, don't be such an <laughs> and, uh, but more importantly, it's all going to be all right. Yeah. It's all going to be fine. Yeah. And I'm going to continue to say that to my, my younger self over and over and over for forever as I continue to age. We got to keep talking to him, don't we? Yes. 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 But the really that man, I, I know, it's, of course I was kind of joking at the beginning there, but like, it is really a, a, a important one to think of the it's going to be okay one, you know, because mm. we're all, you know, one thing that connects us all, we're all, we all have these, you know, hopes and fears and worries and desires and wants and, and all this stuff as people. And a lot of that uh, fear comes from the fear of the unknown, you know, but it's always been okay up until this very moment right now, and it will continue to be so. And I think embracing the notion and being able to trust one's own instinct and one's ability to live their life uh, is very hardening and allows a lot of that pressure and that anxiety to to lighten up a little bit. Yeah, yeah. If you're after some liberation, a lighter and brighter life, uh, meaning, peace, patience, kindness, compassion, empathy, go pick up Now is the Way. Uh, my assumption is anywhere books are bought and sold, you can probably probably find a copy of this and uh as always on amazon um cory grateful for you and your work thanks so much for your uh time and generosity of sharing with us today thank you so much for having me on the show man i really appreciate it you bet man i hope uh let's get a lunch on the books one day love to come down yeah. to austin get to know you better yeah sure thing man right on brother all right well we uh hope to have you on again and we wish you all the best uh with now is the way as it moves out into the world thank you Hey, before you go, don't forget to hit subscribe right there on your phone. That's probably where you're listening. Uh, and if you enjoyed this, would you mind leaving us a review? One of the things that we're wanting to do is get this information out to as many people as we can. And we are finding that uh, when people leave good, true, and beautiful reviews, uh, that helps us get this information out more and more to people all across the world. I do not take it lightly uh, that you invite me to ride shotgun with you in your car. Uh, you allow these conversations to be a part of your jogs. You allow these conversations to be a part of the communities and families and businesses that you've been entrusted. Uh, I do not take that lightly at all, and I am thrilled uh, that you have joined us here at this table, at this conversation. There's always a seat left. There's always room for more, uh, and we are just so grateful for you guys joining us here at Good, True, and Beautiful. And as you approach this week, 
May you pause by the orchid, listen to the bluebirds sing, and be love.